Now, last uh, Sunday, Pastor Eric and Sarah Holmstrom, they launched our new series uh, called Talking with God. And today we're going to continue, and the title of my message is Desperate Prayer for Desperate Times. Desperate Prayer for Desperate Times. Now, I don't want to have a series on prayer without ever getting around to praying. So I've asked three members of our church family uh, to pray about the racial tensions in America today uh, since the killing of George Floyd. Uh, The first one that's going to pray is Kaylee Richards. She's one of our high school ministry freshman girls life group leaders. The second one to pray is Mike Carney. He's retired law enforcement and the head of our security team here at Purpose Church. And then the third one to pray is Curtis Thompson. He's our church moderator, and uh, most importantly, he's our bass player, and he is also, Curtis is also retired law enforcement. Now, we tried to get current police officers, uh, but they're all on call this weekend, so we weren't able to get them. Now, before they pray, I want to share two verses, because I don't want us as a church family to judge their prayer. I just want us to pray. I don't want us to sit in judgment on their prayer. I just, I just want us to pray. I don't want us to sit there during their prayer saying, well, they could have phrased that differently, or they emphasized this over that, or, or didn't even mention that. I don't want us to do that, and we don't have to because of these two verses. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will fix their prayers before they get to the throne of God. That he's going to fix them. If that phrase comes out wrong, it's oh, Lord, that's not what they meant. Or if they, they're imbalanced, the Holy Spirit will fill in the balance. As a matter of fact, this is what I pray for my sermon today, especially today, but every Sunday. I pray, Holy Spirit, reinterpret it from the stupid things that come out of my mouth until they get into your ears and especially into your heart. I I pray that for myself. So here are the two verses. We're going to pray for them, remind ourselves before they pray. Romans 8, Paul writes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What that means is that when, uh, when, when Kaylee comes up to pray, if she says anything that's not phrased exactly right, the Holy Spirit will go, oh, Father, Father, this is what Kaylee meant. Or if, uh, if Mike comes up to pray and, uh, and it's a bit imbalanced, he kind of emphasized one part of our church family and not the other part, the Holy Spirit will say, Father, Father, and Mike also meant to add this in there as well. And when Curtis comes up here to pray, the Holy Spirit goes, Father, that prayer was a hot mess. I'm telling you, that, that thing, uh, I should be so careful. Because, bo- you know, he's, he's my boss. He's the church moderator, so Curtis is my boss. So I should not, uh, I should not say that. But, but for Mike and Curtis and Kaylee, have I taken the pressure off now? Okay? We're, we're not going to judge their prayers. We're just, we're just going to pray. So Kaylee, uh, start us off now. Start us off. Kaylee, pray for us. Father, um, I just ask, Lord, for reconciliation. And specifically, Lord, I pray that that would start in our relationship with you. Um, Lord, this is a hard time. This is a hard season that we are facing. And um, we know that in the relationship that we have with you, that's where this begins. So before anything else, help us to be reconciled with you before we are reconciled to each other. Help us to be bridge builders. Help us to be listeners. 
Lord, may the Holy Spirit um, work through us. May we listen to him. May we hear him so that we know how to cross over those bridges to um, learn more about people that we may not understand. And Lord, may your healing and your peace fall over this land. Help us to be your hands and your feet as we listen to you. Lord, we love you, and we know that you work all things uh, for our good. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today in the midst of a nation that is angry, a nation that is confused, a nation that needs help, a nation that needs healing. Lord, our prayer is that everyone everywhere knows that you are God, that they know that you are the light and you are the comforter and that you made all people equal. Lord, as a retired law enforcement officer, I have seen good and I have seen evil. Lord, I was there in 1992 when Satan tried to destroy us. And my heart is broken that, again, I see it in 2020. Lord, our prayer is for the people that want their voices heard, that you will comfort them, that you will guide them, and that you will give them peace. Lord, our prayer is for our first responders and our military, that you would give them comfort, wisdom, and understanding in this time of trouble. And Lord, our prayer is today that you touch your hand on our nation's leaders. Have them put politics aside, Lord. Let them understand that we are all equal. And Lord, above all, remind them that we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, as I was searching your word to uh, speak to our congregation and to those of you who are watching us, I was led to your words in, in Luke 10, uh, verse 30 and, and forward. It's the story of the parable of the man who by no means of himself fell into the hands of robbers who was beaten, half deaf, half dead, and left there on the side of the road. And how the religious people of those times, if Father the Levite and the priest, saw a man in need and moved to the other side of the street. While the Good Samaritan came and helped this man, it was let up on my heart that we be the Good Samaritan in this time as a church of, your, of Jesus Christ, your Father, that not we only do what he did in that he helped that man. He saw a need, he stood in, and he did some things for his physical needs. He took care of him and took him to the end, but not only did he take him to the end, he paid a price for that man to stay there. And he went on about his way. But not only did he pay and go about his way, dear Father, he committed to the long-term care of this person who by no means of his own, fell into the hands of despair and was in the situation that he was in, dear Father. May we be that person in the church, dear Father, that we commit to doing the things that you said in love beyond what is popular, beyond what is the zeitgeist of today, beyond what 
you know, popular culture and media might have you say or have us say, dear Father, that we make that commitment. Not only that of the Samaritan, Father, but that of the innkeeper who took this person who was in not a popular classification, um, in a situation where he needed help and he couldn't help himself. Not only did he take this person in, he helped him. And not to the point of worrying about what the fear of man had to say about his business, whether he was going to get picketed or uh, uh, protested against. He saw the love that you said that we were supposed to exhibit, and he took that upon himself, putting his business needs second, and the love that you, you told us to, to exhibit first, dear Father. I just ask that we be true Christians in this church of action, of speech, and of action, dear Father. The word says that, if I, if we, we oftentimes as Christians be able to speak these eloquent words which mean nothing. You and your words said, if I speak with the tongue of men and of the angels and have not love, which is the greatest of all between faith and hope, love is the greatest of all. If I have not love, I am just a resounding gong, dear Father. I pray that as we move forward in partnership that those who, are, who know you and are seeking to know you and understand your word and, and act accordance with it, dear Father, do those things that you did. You hung out with people who were not in popular uh, 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 terms with the society. And I just ask my heart, dear Father, that we as the church exhibit that love. And as we give it, so it shall be given unto us. Good measure, pressed down and running over. I just thank you and praise you in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Curtis and Kaylee and, and Mike. And our first family conversation is going to be tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on Instagram Live. And uh, Chanel de Los Reyes, who's our communications director, she's going to be interviewing Curtis, who's just up here praying, who's our church moderator. And Curtis has a unique perspective on what's going on as an African-American police officer. So she's going to be interviewing him tomorrow night. Encourage you to join us on uh, that family conversation that we're going to have. Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 12, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Do you feel like there is a vast army? Uh, it, it, it used to be a COVID army. Uh, now it's the army of racial division. And this vast army is attacking us. And oh God, we have no power to defend against it. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. But our eyes, Lord, are on you. Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Uh, God is going to use this for good. We're going to turn it over to him. Satan intends it to eat for evil. Satan intends it for division. But we're going to pray desperate prayers, and God is going to flip it on him and work it around for good, just like we've already seen him do with COVID. Uh, here's a meme I saw this uh, past week where the devil says to God, with COVID-19, I closed your churches. And God answered, on the contrary, I just opened one in every home. And we're praying he's going to do uh, the same uh, thing uh, today. Uh, be, you know, I, I said with regard to COVID, between our Arabic and international and Spanish and English services, we have now reached people in about 120 different countries. Think about that. There's only 195 countries. 120 countries we've reached people in since the whole pandemic uh, began. Could God do the same thing with the pain and the hurt and the anger and the division that's in our country today? I believe he can. 
Uh, last week, I communicated with two young mothers from our church family. And one young wife was crying as she sent her law enforcement husband into work in Los Angeles each day. And the other African-American mother was grieving as she told me about trying to explain to her five-year-old daughter about racism. And the little girl just looked up at her mother and said, but mommy, but why? But why? What the world needs today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile who had division with them, uh, between them at, at that time. So first he brings us salvation from our sins, but then he also gives us salvation from our prejudices. Uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I always like to say a picture's worth a thousand words. And Pastor Eric sent me some of these pictures uh, this, uh, this past week. And to me, these pictures are exactly what Paul was writing about uh, to the Ephesians. And, and, and these, poli uh, these uh, police officers, they remind me here. They remind me of the law enforcement that I've met here at Purpose Church. They, these are just like the ones that I know uh, within our church family. He's, divide, he's, he's torn down the barrier of division, and he's destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, Pastor Brian uh, sent me an article this week called Atheists in Praise of Christianity. You heard that right, Atheists in Praise of Christianity. Do you know there's a growing number of atheists today who don't believe in God, but they still believe that the only hope for society is Christianity? Did you know there was such a group? And it's growing all the time. Atheists who don't believe in God, but they still believe the only hope for our society is Christianity. Uh, one of those is the historian Tom Holland. And he wrote a book called Dominion. This was written by an atheist, an atheist historian. Dominion, how the Christian revolution remade the world. And I love this quote by Tom Holland. He, this is an atheist speaking now. He says, if the West had not become Christian, no one would have gotten woke. No one would have gotten woke if the West had not become Christian. I met online this uh, past week with a group of primarily African-American and Hispanic pastors um, from here in Pomona at an event that was organized and, and it was moderated by our very, very own Pastor Sham. Pastor Sham put this together. And we spent just uh, over an hour, hour to an hour and a half just listening to their stories. I, I just shut up, and now you know how hard that is for me, but I just shut up for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and just listened to the stories of my colleagues, of, of pastors of other churches here in Pomona. And one of the older female African-American pastors, uh, she's kind of a grandmother uh, to the pastors of Pomona. We kind of see her as our, as our grandmother. And she said to us, I almost felt like I was being scolded by my grandmother. She said, this is not an S-Y-H moment. This is an M-Y-B moment. Not an S-Y-H moment. This is an M-Y-B moment. She said, this is not an S-Y-H moment. Not a shake your head moment. Isn't this sad? 
Isn't that terrible? Oh my goodness. She said, no, no, it's not a shake your head, an S-Y-H moment. It's an M-Y-B moment. It's a move your butt moment. That's what she said. Now for you kids back at home, Pastor Glenn didn't say that. I was quoting somebody else who, who said it. I want you to know. This is not a shake your head. Isn't this terrible? Well, it is. Obviously, it's a shake your head moment. But don't leave it at shaking your head. Move your butt. That's what she challenged us to do. Every great movement starts in prayer. Do you know, um, I, I had heard this said, but last night before I went to bed, I kind of skimmed through the book of Acts and found it to be true. Do you know almost every single chapter, I've heard it said every chapter, but for me, I could only find it in about 25 of the 28 fa- chapters of Acts. Almost every chapter of the book of Acts shows the church in prayer. Almost every chapter, the church at prayer. J.D. Greer says, what was fundamental for the early church has become supplemental in the church today. What was fundamental for the early church has become supplemental in the church today. Carl Ellis Jr. writes, as followers of Christ, we look forward to the sweet by and by, but must wisely apply God's word in the nasty now and now. I love that quote. We look forward to the sweet by and by. How many of you have been wishing Jesus, this would be a pretty good week for Jesus to come back. You with me on that one? We're all looking to the sweet by and by, but we must wisely apply God's word in the nasty now and now. God is the Lord of destiny. If we leave God out, we lose our sense of direction. Since God has the ultimate perspective and knows all things, he alone is able to guide us through the flow of history toward our true destiny. Now, if prayer is so powerful, and if prayer is so necessary, why do we find it so difficult to pray? Now, the answer I would come up with for myself, and I bet you this would be in your top three, it's just a lack of self-discipline. When I think, Glenn, why don't you pray more if it's so awesome, if it's so powerful, why don't I pray more? And I tend to think, well, Glenn, it's just because you lack, you lack self-discipline. But I want to propose a different reason for myself and for you Uh, If it's okay, we're all friends here, right? We're going to be honest. Um, It's uncomfortable to admit this in church, but I'm the only one in church, so you guys should feel fine, all right? But I'm going to admit it in, in church. I'm the only one actually in church. Here's the main reason I don't pray more, and I bet the reason you don't pray more. We're just not sure how much good prayer actually does. Did I just say that in church? We're just not sure how much good prayer actually does. I mean, think about it. Sometimes you pray and things happen. But sometimes you pray and they don't happen. And sometimes you don't pray and the thing you forgot to pray about happens anyway. Maybe this is the reason you quit praying. Maybe it's the reason you gave up on church. You gave up on God altogether. You prayed for something that you were sure a loving God would answer. Why wouldn't a loving God answer that thing? And it didn't turn out the way you thought it should. And you just can't make sense of that. So you either walked away from God or you just didn't spend that much time in prayer because after all, how much good does it do? Well, I want to tell you some good news today. Jesus was aware of that frustration. And he realized it was the primary obstacle to us praying. Now let that sink in for just a minute. Yeah, the, the fact that you maybe agreed with me on what I just said doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you uh, some kind of evil person, doesn't make you a bad Christian, doesn't. Jesus totally understands. He says, I, I get that. 
And so he gave us a parable to encourage us to keep praying even when it doesn't seem like it makes much of a difference. Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Because he knew, even his disciples who had seen all the miracles firsthand, they still after a while said, you know what, I'm just going to give up. This isn't doing all that much good. So Jesus understands what we're going through. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Let's just hold it on that verse for just a minute. Grant me justice against my adversary. Are any of you feeling that today? Those of you um, in the minority communities, African Americans, Hispanics, others that have suffered under racism for all your life, you say, oh God, when's it going to change? There was that song, the praise team just, just sang, waiting for change to come. When's it going to come, Lord? Um, give me justice against my adversary. There are families of law enforcement, and there are law enforcement uh, people, personnel within our church family that are saying, how long, O oh Lord, till I get justice? How, how, how unfair is it for the actions of one police officer in Minneapolis to, to paint with a wide brush what everybody thinks about what I'm doing in my work or sending my spouse into the face of danger. And, and for part of, part of our church family, uh, different parts of our church family, you're crying out, give me justice against my adversary. This is not fair. I've heard so many people say that this week. This is wrong. This hurts. It's not fair. Oh God, give me Justice against my adversary, verse 4. Now we can go on. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That is one, that is one crazy widow going on there, okay? He said, this lady's going to attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Verse 7, and will not God, God, God compares himself to this unjust judge. And he said, if that judge will do it for all the wrong reasons, don't you think your heavenly father will bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. In that little parable, Jesus teaches us four important things about how we should pray. Number one, we should pray desperately. Desperately. Do you know that desperate prayers move the heart of God way more than long prayers? Short and desperate gets the job done way more than long and casual. Desperately. Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. That is, humble yourself in prayer, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Can I just say that to those parts of our church family? Everybody's hurting to a certain degree, but some are really hurting right now. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Kimberly and I have been talking this week. Satan is having a heyday right now. He is laughing his head off like a prowling rhine. He, he's trying to divide us. 
He's trying to, de to divide Purpose Church. He knows the tremendous work of this church for 150 years. And he is like a roaring, prowling lion trying to divide us from each other. To take away our power because nothing takes away the power of God more than, than disunity and Christians attacking each other. He's trying to devour our nation. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Can we hold it there for just a second? Sorry about that. Uh, this is such an interesting verse. I mean, he's talking about persecution for being a Christ follower. That's what he was talking about. But isn't it interesting? This may be the first time in history that this is literally true, that believers and all people around the world, uh, because of COVID-19, are going through uh, the same kind of sufferings. Ver verse 10, verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. We need desperate prayer for desperate times. Um, right before the American Revolution in America, there was this tremendous moral and spiritual drought. Alcohol abuse was rampant. Crime was increasing. For the first time in American history, women were afraid to go out on the streets alone at night. Uh, Christianity was non-existent in our institutions of higher learning. Uh, Harvard had zero Christians. Princeton had two. And only five members of the student body at Princeton were not a member of a group called the Filthy Speech Movement. At Williams College, they held uh, mock communions. Dartmouth held anti-Christian plays. Christians met in secret for fear of persecution. The churches were in terrible shape. The Methodists were, were shrinking. The Baptists were going through their hardest time. Congregationalists in New England were dying. One church had gone 16 years without a young person, a single young person, walking through the doors. The Lutherans were so desperate they considered merging with the Episcopalians. The leader of the Episcopalians in New York had gone so long without confirming anyone that he quit his job, he left the ministry and took up another job. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote to the Bishop of Virginia and said that Christianity was so far gone that it could never come back. The French atheist Voltaire predicted that in a hundred years there would not be a single Bible left on the face of the earth. And yet 16 years after his death, his own printing presses in his home were used to print Bibles. How did this happen? How did this happen? Uh, historian Kenneth Scott Latterette says that the church's back was against the wall, and so we finally began to pray desperately. Jonathan Edwards, young pastor, uh, he wrote a tract. Now, you know, today you're supposed to have pithy, one-word, if possible, names to your books or to songs that the praise team writes or whatever. It's best to have a, like a short title. How do you like this for a title? This is the tract he wrote. A humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the extension of Christ's kingdom. How's that for a title? And God used it to launch the greatest revival in American history. It was called the Great Awakening. By 1800, there was this complete turnaround. Thousands upon thousands came to Christ. 600 Christian schools were launched practically overnight. 
uh, the great missionary movement of the 1800s was launched, which completely changed the course of, of, of world history. But here is the great, great tragedy of the Great Awakening. It was called the Great Awakening. It was a not-so-great awakening. The great, great tragedy of the Great Awakening is that slavery and racism were not eliminated. People got saved, but they didn't get saved from that. I heard an African-American pastor at that same event I was at on Friday, heard an African-American pastor from here in Pomona on Friday. He called this the spirit of Miriam and Aaron. The spirit of Miriam and Aaron. In Numbers 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite, which is another name for an African, specifically from either the nation of Sudan or Ethiopia. Moses had married a black wife, and they were not happy about it. Because of racism in their hearts. Now think about it for a minute. And, and he went on to describe this. And I'm frantically writing notes for my sermon on Sunday. Totally stealing them from another pastor here in town. He said, he said Miriam was one of the greatest women that ever lived. She was the one that wrote the first praise song. You know the praise songs we love? First one, first one to write a praise song was Moses and his sister Miriam. Uh, um, she was a great prophetess. Aaron was the first high priest. These people were tremendously used by God. And yet they still had the spirit of Miriam and Aaron. They still had racism in their hearts. I was crying out to God this week about what I find in my heart. I hope I've been used by God, not like Miriam and Aaron, but in a tiny, tiny bit. I hope so. Oh my goodness, the spirit, the stain of the spirit of Miriam and Aaron is still lodged in my heart. And the image God gave to me was that of Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth. As I looked at my hands like she looked at her hands and said, Out, 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 damn spot. Out, out, I say. Out, stain of racism. Out, out, I say. How do I get rid of this spot of racism lodged in my heart and the blood on my hands. I do it by praying desperately and by praying boldly. Luke 11, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need, as we were singing earlier, the power of, of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to break this chain of racism and prejudice. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to break every chain. Mother Teresa said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And then number three, we pray boldly, we pray uh, passionately, we pray uh, desperately, and we pray persistently. Uh, Exodus 17, so Joshua fought against the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands in prayer, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it up under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. George Mueller, who was famous for his work with orphans in England, he committed himself to pray for the salvation of five young men every day. They were friends of his son. And he committed to pray for these five young men for their salvation every day. So he prayed for 18 months, and the first one came to Christ. He prayed for five more years, and the second one came to Christ. Six years after that, the third one got saved. 52 years after he started praying, the final two finally followed Christ. Over half a century, a few years after Mueller had already died. Persistent. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Beth Moore writes, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. And then number four, trustingly. We pray boldly, we pray desperately, we pray persistently, and we pray trustingly. Mahalia Jackson writes, faith and prayer are the vitamins of the soul. Man cannot live in health without them. If you believe in God, he will open the windows of heaven and pour blessings upon you. Sometimes you ask God for something and you don't know what you're asking. The old devil gets mad when you're trying to do good. Pray that God will move the stumbling blocks. God can make you anything you want to be, but you have to put everything in his hands. Jesus said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, are going to give him a snake instead? And if he asks you for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Let's reverse that for a moment. Sometimes we ask for a scorpion, and God instead gives us an egg. Sometimes in our foolish prayers, we pray for a scorpion and a loving heavenly father gives us an egg instead. Or sometimes what looks like a scorpion is actually an egg. Nothing looked more like a scorpion than the cross of Jesus Christ. If anything ever looked like a scorpion, it was the cross. It looked like a scorpion. God, we don't want this. And yet it was the means of our salvation. It was better than an egg. It was salvation. It was our salvation. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked if we knew what he knew. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we, he, we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. We've got to trust God. The psalmist writes, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Uh, verse 12, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray desperately that God will bring us all together during this time. Let's pray desperate prayers for desperate times. Let's pray desperately, boldly, persistently, and trustingly, oh God, heal our land. Convict us of sin. Heal our brokenness. Heal our divisions. And all God's family said, amen.
and amen.